Um, if some of you are just new and uh, you haven't gotten into a small group or come to our Thrive, I want to encourage you, this is a perfect time to come because the Real God series we just started is incredible. Um, I, I just, uh, just got so much out of that video last Wednesday when we started it. And then Thursday, I had to go uh, and I got to babysit my 90-year-old mom. My sister, uh, who's her main caregiver, and my other sisters, and Dory and my daughter Amy, went to have a consultation with the social worker of my mom's. And so I had the privilege of just being able to be with my mom. And uh, it was interesting because um, my sister who takes care of her does not like to let anyone really take care of her. She's really hardcore. My mom has fallen a number of times, probably in the last months she's fallen twice gone to the hospital in an ambulance and it's just not very uh good so for her to get out of the house and have a little break they took her had her hair cut and she went to lunch but i had to be responsible i thought well i'm doing really good you know she uh, she huh i told she was nine i told him already uh so uh so here we are uh so here we are, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing really good. I brought my Dyson over and I vacuumed my mom's house. So it was all nice and clean and, you know, we're talking and everything. And then, you know, she's taking care of her, her business herself and, you know, she's doing really good. I fed her. Oh, it's great. Now she wanted to go out and do a little walk. So I get her outside. She's walking. I'm thinking, man, my sister's going to be all oh, so happy. So getting back in the house, my mom catches her little slipper on the on the threshold and she starts going down and my mom once my mom's down is when all the problems start then you have to call the fire department and three firemen come pick her up and put her in and she goes down so she's barely going down slow motion so i'm i'm holding this door open for her so i stop holding the door and now i'm trying to catch her and she stops on her knees and i thought okay she's not down and then all of a sudden she just gives herself over and she rolls over on her side and she is down and i go oh god and then I thought, real God. And you know in that, in that section of real God, it says, do you have those moments you wonder where God went? Where are you? And I'm thinking, oh, no, fire department? My sister will never let me do anything again. She'll be so upset. She'll be so stressed. And just about that time, I get a phone call. Dory's checking in. How's things? I go, Mom is down. <laughs> is she okay? Yes. You know, in fact, because her mind is not there, she said, oh, did I hit my head? I go, Mom, you went down slowly on your knees, and then you decided to just lay down completely. Your head never touched anything. You're just in the middle of the floor, but you're down. Okay, so she starts moving her arms, moving her neck, you know, moving her feet. She's twinkling her, moving her toes. I go, see, Mom, everything's working. You didn't break nothing. Then she starts crying. How am I, how, what about when my daughter comes and she sees I'm down or, or that I had to call the ambulance and the fire department again? Oh, no. She starts crying. Go, Mom, don't cry. Don't cry. It's going to be all right. We're going to get you up. And so we both start praying. And I'm thinking, oh, my, this is a real situation. God, where are you? We do not want to call the fire department. So my mom says, maybe if I could get over to the couch. She goes, roll me. And she, she, can't, she, can't, she can't roll, you know, so she goes, slide me. So she had this long robe on, so, so I, I tie the robe up, and I grab her by the robe. I stand over, and I grab, grab her by the robe, and I start sliding her, you know? 
And I realized I am not going to get her to the couch, but she has one of these chairs that's hydraulic and it tips all the way forward. And I thought, okay, if I can get her to her chair, maybe I can slide her up on her chair. So here's about half hour, 45 minutes. We kept going a little bit, like get her up. And then she's worried about me. You're going to hurt your back. I go, don't worry about my back. So then, then another call comes in. We're going to be coming home. Get her, in the, get her in her chair. Get her off the ground. <laughs> and they're not telling my sister because she's having such a great time, but they're on their way home. And so I'm thinking, oh, God, how are we going to do this? So I, I picked her up again, and I slid her as close as I could, and she's starting to use her hands to help push me. So I got her chair tilted all the way down, and I got her leaning against her chair, and then I put a pillar behind her neck. So she's resting. I'm thinking, oh, how are we going to do this? I, there's no way I can deadlift this lady into the chair. And so I, I, I went again, and I grabbed hold of her, put my arms around her back, and I, and I started pushing her up. But her arms started catching on the edges of the, the chair. So I go, okay, mom, put your arms around my neck. And what a moment, you know, when you have your mom who held you, who loved you, and now she can't move or anything, and she has her arms around your neck, and she's depending on you. And, and by God's grace, I got her up in her chair. So right after I got her up in her chair, got her all comfortable, um, then I, I started to text Dory, and I hear Dory's talking to my sister on the phone. She doesn't even answer me. And then they're at the house. So they send my daughter and my other sister in the house to make sure they were going to help get her in the chair so that my other sister wouldn't have to see it. And, and so I, I, we kept this a secret from my sister as a caretaker. And then my mom, all of a sudden, while I'm helping my other sister do something, she goes, oh, and tell them, tell them what God did. Tell them about that man that God sent and helped us. I go, mom, no, no. <laughs> And then Dory's sitting there, yeah, tell us what happened. I go, Dory, no, not that story, not that story. <laughs> and I just have to say, it was the last minute, within the last five minutes before they rolled in, that my mom was back in the chair. And I was like, God, you are a real God. You do real things in real desperate situations. I was, had the privilege just talking to Kate just in the beginning of service because, you know, their son's home. And I remember the last two, three years, the prayers that have been going up, the, the agony in Kate's heart, the mom of wanting her son. And God, why is there so much red tape? Why is this prayer not answered? Why is there so many things blocking uh, her son being restored and coming over here to live with them? And today that prayer is answered. And who knows sometimes <clears throat> what we have to go through, but God is a real God and he is so good. You know, this morning, as we uh, start, continue on our message, the Lord, Lord, tame my tongue, week four, I, I thought of that scripture in Song of Psalm where it says, he brought me to his banqueting table. You know, we pray, and uh, I try to have the word of the Lord for us, but it's a two-way thing. I have to hear from God, and I have to deliver a word, but you have to have ears to hear it. So let's just pray this morning. God, here we are. We're at your banqueting table, and there is so much food things that maybe would be said to us by your Holy Spirit that we haven't even thought of are not even going to be conjured up or said in this message. But Lord, we present our hearts and our ears to you, that you would speak to us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to really believe that you are a real God and that you want to work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so this is the fourth week on Lord Tame My Tongue. And uh, 
this topic is really good because I feel like God is trying to rearrange our tongue. He's trying to readjust the body of Christ and especially this local church and how we use our tongue. And our first um, key verse we used in the first week was <clears throat> Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. The truth of the Bible comes not to condemn us, but to help us grow. When God gives us a word, and however this message has been coming to you, not to put you down, but to help you get a better handle on the words that you're using, because he really wants us to be able to have power as Christians in how we use our tongue. You know, power in God's spoken word, there's power in the word of God. But if it gets kind of watered down and over time and if we're misusing it <clears throat> or we're not using correct words, it gets watered down. It loses its power. Satan uses our old nature and Satan sometimes uses the things that we're disappointed in to get us to be cursing and to say negative things. But in Genesis 1-2, there were seven times God said. In, in Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep. But the Holy Spirit was hovering. You know, may the Holy Spirit hover over us in our vocabulary today. May the Holy Spirit re-energize us and re-emphasize to us how powerful our words can be to build up or encourage or to tear down and break people's spirits. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Notice that how God even starts the power in his word. There is nothing, and then God said, and then let it happen. In verse 6, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and it was so. That separation between the heavens and the earth. Then God said in verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Oh, may we get to the place where we're speaking words of truth, where we're speaking positive words, where we've got our tongue tamed and under harness, where we're speaking creative words of life into people, into situations, into our own self at times, because there's times we need to speak to our own soul to energize ourselves in God. Verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Speaking the word, and it is so. God said, let it be, and it was so. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. It wasn't evolution. It was the powerful word of God, spoken by God himself. Out of nothing, he created everything, the power of his words. Paul tells us that we are new creations, recreated in Christ to do good works. There is to be that power in our words to speak life and to use the word of God to see it come into being. In James 3, 5, and 6, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Another uh, verse we used a couple weeks ago, Mark 16, 17. Jesus told disciples, these signs will follow those who believe. And one of them was, they will speak with new tongues. And we've been saying that that's the power that comes on us through the Holy Spirit to bring a tameness over our tongue, to restrict our tongue from being cursing and slandering and assaulting people and assaulting our family members and doing damage to us when we needed to speak words of power and life. Power is restored to the Christian tongue. If you will look at uh, Mark 11, verses 20 through 23. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree which you cursed has withered away. He's telling us that we need to have faith to say things. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to, will be done. He will have whatever he says. In verse 24, he goes on to say, when you pray, believe what you're praying. In verse 24, he talks about forgiving those people who have sinned against us. He's breaking down all the obstacles to us using our words, using the words in our mouth, using our tongue for positive things and not destructive things. Why? Because we want to see mountains moved. We want to see things of life imparted to other people. We want to have situations changed that normally could not change, but we're bringing the power of God into play. In... uh, our second week, our key verse was Proverbs seventeen nine. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. We talked about in those first two weeks the busybody, the talebearer, the gossiper, one who slanders, a divisive person causing division and discord, all having a destructive effect on the body of Christ, the local church. That effect is the tongue's power to heal and bring life through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we're continuing on this subject, but hopefully we're going to get a little deeper today. In Acts 2.47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. I think every church in the world would be full if there wasn't the slander and the gossip that tears the body of Christ down. I believe there's a lot of people who are not in church today, are not affiliated with a local church, not planted in a local church, not members of a local church, because somehow along the way someone said something that hurt them, and they said, I don't need this. I get this in the world every day. Why do I need to come to church and get this? But because we're all broken people, we need this place. We need each other, and we need to learn how to be healed, and we need to learn how to let the Holy Spirit tame our tongue. We need to judge our words and how we're using those words so that we can surrender them to the activity of the Holy Spirit that we might get back the power in our tongue, the power to heal. And so even though, you know, God is desiring to build His church, over the 17 years that I've been here, going on 18, I've seen Satan and people hacking off the body and seeing people go out the door the other way. But I believe in how we're addressing this and the timing of what God wants to do, I believe we're going to see things happen. 
I believe we're going to see a unified body. I believe we're going to see more people doing more things because it's their giftedness and it's part of what the body of Christ needs and the local church, each local church needs it, that it can thrive and be what God wants it to be. So it can be fully functioning, bringing life to a hurting world, dispelling darkness, and bringing the healing that people need when they come into the church. We're all broken in some way and we need some kind of healing and transformation. And if you've been a good person, then God wants to make even your religiousness become very fruitful because it's now spirit-activated and it's from the heart. And it's not just dead religious works. Words are fuel for a fire. In Proverbs 26, 20 through 26, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, contention ceases. How many times we could witness that in our own conversations and the things that we see? Verse 21, as coals are to hot embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man to inflame strife. How many times maybe you just get things settled down and then some will just start feeding it and you think, this thing is now a huge forest fire. Because you know how sometimes we, we are quieting situations and like we just get it then there and someone will just say a little thing. It's like throwing that log on there or a little... Uh, propane, little uh, um, that lighter fluid that we put on our briquettes. The words of a whisperer or slanderer are like dainty morsels of words to, of sport. To some, but to others, they are deadly wounds. It's interesting how sometimes when we're gossiping or saying things, it's kind of enticing us to say more. How many of you be honest and say, like, you know, sometimes we get to talk about things. It's, it's, it's feeding something. It, it feels good. And it says they go down into the innermost parts of the body of the victim's nature. So those words that you're saying are penetrating into the heart of the hearer, and it's hurting them. And to the person who finds out that they've been slandered, it hurts them even more deeply because they've just been maligned. They've just been misrepresented. Verse 23, burning lips uttering insincere words of love and a wicked heart are like an earthen vessel covered with a scum thrown off from molten silver, making it appear to be solid silver. How many times we are covering ourselves with words, but inside our heart is not right. You know, God is wanting our heart, our spirit, and our soul to be in this sink so that we're operating positively in the way we communicate. Verse 24, he who hates pretends with his lips, but stores up deceit within himself. Verse 25, when he speaks kindly, do not trust him, for seven abominations are in his heart. Verse 26, though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness shall be shown openly before the assembly. James kind of sums up this all in James 3.10. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. And when he says that, it means that we have the ability to start curbing our tongue and that negative flow of words that we're so used to letting out. Conversation definition, exchange of ideas by spoken words, talk, chat, gossip between two or more people. We talked about, uh, just got into that a little bit last week about what kind of conversations are we into? Are they positive? Are they negative? Are we feeding them negative? Or are we, if we're involved with something like that, are we stopping the conversation? Are we changing the flow so it's not negative anymore? So, uh, the Bible also sometimes talks about vain conversations. Those are conversations that are meaningless. They're worthless. They have no purpose and no value. And I think sometimes when we use a lot of words, 
we lose the emphasis and the power that words have. And since God wants us to use our tongue in a powerful way, we maybe need to rein in the amount of words we're saying. Maybe close down, shorten, uh, make a smaller sentence so that when we say something, it's powerful and it's impacting. In 1 Peter 1.18, as you know that you were redeemed with, redeemed with, not with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by your tradition of your fathers. We talked about, you know, things that we learn, prejudices of things growing up, that they're part of, of our makeup, and they come out almost like automatically. But it says we've been redeemed from them. It's the precious power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in us is causing us to be able to change our very nature and character to really use what Jesus did to be free from those corruptible things. Last week, our key verse was Psalms fifty twenty three. To him that orders his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. In Matthew twelve thirty six, we used this last week also. Jesus said, every idle word men speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. You know, sometimes we don't think about eternity. Sometimes we don't think about what's going to happen. But when you think of it, we're going to give account. Sometimes we said things that we wish we, we hadn't said. Sometimes we said things about people and we're hoping they'll never hear. But inside, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about when we say things we shouldn't say, it's like feathers that are out there and you can never gather them back in. And so how much better to let God tame our tongue now so that we don't have any regrets about what the things that we're saying. Okay, our new where we're starting new today, I want to talk about authority. The definition of authority, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. In Romans 13, 1, Paul the Apostle wrote, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. I think that puts a, a cap right now on how we're treating authorities. What are we saying about the authorities over us, whether it's your boss, the president? You know, right now in our society, there is such stuff going on because of what our president's saying and then what people are afraid he's saying and then all the gossip and slander and the things that are going on with media, all that. And even Christians, we get caught up because we're part of this nation. We get caught up in gossip and slander. But this is saying... All authority is from God, and there is no authority except from God that he has established. It goes on to say in that verse that authorities that exist have been established by God. So we have to watch how we're slandering people in authority. Because when we slander people in authority, God's called people, no matter how we look at them, we bring ourselves into a place of judgment. And then we're we're also inflicting uh, a negative influence on our words we are holding back the power of our words when we are caught up in slandering authority in romans 13 2 consequently whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against god because he has instituted it and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves i don't know about you but i don't want anything to have to do with the with the judge someday i want everything under the blood I don't want to be covered. Convict me now. Let me get it right now. So this is a time for us as we're going through this. If there's things where we don't, we're not using our tongue right, if we're saying things, let's start confessing it. This is a perfect time. You know, I've been praying every week. When's it gonna, when should we do communion? And I felt this is the week. And I felt like the, the time we're going to spend 
and, and our altar time of communion is going to time for us to just get things right with God. <clears throat> I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. Again, the buzz that's out there, whether it's on social media, the news, and then the conversations in the workplace, the break rooms. You know, it's usually about the president or people in authority. You know, we start saying, oh, what is about this? You know, it's our freedom in America, the freedom of speech. Christians have gotten involved, and now we're taking it to the extreme where we, are, we have diluted the power of our influence in our words. And so I've been saying, what are we doing in our social media, in our texts, in our Twitters, in our conversations, in Facebook? Are we part of the problem or the solution? And I've been encouraging you, if you are involved in those things, to speak the positive things, to ask for forgiveness, to do whatever you, whatever you need to do to make the corrections in your life so that you're being positive and you're building up the body of Christ and you're holding up the witness that you have if you're calling yourself a Christian. Dory and I have been talking about this too. It's working on us in our home and the things that we say. And so we're not getting away with anything either. What I'm telling you, I'm getting hammered on also. Romans 13, 3, Paul said, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. It's interesting. Sometimes we see situations, and in our minds, we see the evil. We, we don't see that. We see, see the, the evil that the rulers are doing or the things that we don't agree with. We don't realize that it's going to be a terror to evil works. We're supposed to trust even ungodly rulers. We can read through the Bible and see how God even used ungodly rulers to deal with his people. We saw David uh, conformed and transformed and honed by God as, as, as a king and a leader to be as he came under an unrighteous leader, Saul, who tried to kill him a number of times. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Yeah, when the policeman pulls up behind me, I don't want to be afraid. Amen. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. How many times we're pulled over sometimes and we know, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. I got my seatbelt on. I wasn't speeding. I stopped at that stop sign. He just wants to say hi to me. <laughs> Hebrews thirteen seventeen. the writer of Hebrews wrote us, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. I think that as a, as a leader, as, as a spiritual leader, you know, Again, I've told you before, it's not something I ran headlong into this volunteering. There's huge trench marks behind my heels of me doing what God wanted. I think the hardest thing sometimes is to correct people because when we're corrected, it automatically brings a response. No one wants to be corrected, especially you're an adult. It just brings up our natural rebellion from our old sin nature, from our old Adamic nature. You know, we don't want to be corrected, even though sometimes we know what, what a person's correcting us about, we know it's true, but we always sometimes throw up a defense. We throw up, well, what, what about this? You know, how many times when you're being corrected, maybe even at work, you throw, well, this guy, you know, we throw, we try to get the, the light, the spotlight off us, and really God's saying, receive when you're getting corrected. It's going to be for your good. Let spiritual leaders, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That means Sometimes when we, that means when we correct as leaders and you're not getting it, you're going to have to deal with God someday. Ow. Verse, our key verse for today. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through verse 2, the first part of verse 2. 
Paul said, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So are you bugged with anybody in your life who is a spiritual authority or a natural authority? Get them. Pray for them. Let God hammer on them. He's hammer on you as a Christian. Let God hammer on them. You know what the hammer is? Your prayers are the hammer. Your prayers for things that you don't like about the government officials or your boss or, you know, local officials or whatever it is, pray for them. You put the total focus of God on them, and God can work on their heart. I pray for the president every day, and sometimes during the day I say, God, get a hold of his heart. Get a hold of his tongue. God, get a hold of his heart. Lord, you called him into that position. Let him do what you want to do, not necessarily what he wants to do. You know, pray for your boss. Are you under a tyrant? God, what are you doing with me? Lord, is this a David situation? I'm being persecuted. You know, I, I talked to Carlos Reynoso, and he talked about the time he was at work and the boss he was under and how it just was so demoralizing to him. We all go through seasons where we have bosses that are not treating us right. But what is God trying to do in that situation, being under that leader? What is he doing in your character? Maybe he's bringing out that part where we're supposed to love our enemies. And it's easy to love someone when they're, you know, accolading you, taking you to lunch, you know, giving you pay raises. But what if they're just being a stinker with you? It's hard to love them. This is what God wants us to work on, that we are loving and respecting authority and praying for those who are over us. Um, I just want to maybe hit accusations next. The definition of accusation, a claim that someone has done something wrong or illegal, a charge that someone has committed a fault. Accusations can become seeds. You know, seeds are potential to grow things. And so when someone puts an accusation against someone, a lot of times, you know, there may be a little bit of facts or maybe just impressions. So often we see things and we get these emotional impressions and different thoughts that link together. And all of a sudden we have this big fact and there's this accusation that goes on this person and then we start talking about them. But if you're talking about someone and not going to them, you are depositing seeds in them. They're going to affect what they think about that person. And even if you find out later on that that accusation that was conjured up in your own thinking or your own experience was false, you've already planted a seed in someone else, and it's going to be negative on them, and they're going to suffer the consequence. We've seen it over and over. I've been in church my whole life. I've seen accusations. I've seen things happen because someone said something that was untruth, and the person suffered the consequences, or a church experienced the division of it. In 1 Timothy, oh, also accusations can become roadblocks to relationships. If you just have this hesitancy because you know something, it, it, just, it just puts a, a check on you. It just puts a block for you to trust or for you to believe in someone. In 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Why? Because accusations against a spiritual leader brings division in a body. If someone accuses me of something and it's not true, then people are going to leave the church. If you can't trust your pastor, if you can't trust your spiritual leader, the church is being divided. The body is broken. And yet time and time again, we've heard after the fact of things that were said 
that I never said. And I thought, wow, look how the enemy has worked through false accusations. Look at how he's done in twisting words and things to divide his body. And then we hear as time goes by that people are out there away from God, not serving God, not in a local body. I don't even care if they go to another church, but come and talk to me. Tell me what I did. Let me apologize. Let me bless you so that your next church experience is going to be good because you're not taking offenses to the next place you go. Because if you take offenses with the next place you go, you're going you're to be poisoned over there and something's going something's to happen over there. If God's trying to do, deal with something in your life and you don't let him deal with it, just because you change churches, he's going to deal with, with someone else. I've seen people quit their jobs because they had an issue with a boss and then find out later wherever they went, the same issue got triggered again. And some of them have left good jobs, good positions, good pay, but they just couldn't take it anymore being under a boss. I tell you, especially this happens to Christians. God is after us, and he's going to use anything and anyone to work on us and to get us in a right, in a right relationship. In 2 Peter 2, 9 through 11, oh, I like this also. It doesn't mean us leaders are infallible. That's why get a witness, two or three witnesses. That's why Dory and I, have, since the day we started the church, we always had this open-door policy. If you have something you want to say, say to us. But usually people don't come to us, people don't go to spiritual authority, people are afraid of authority. People have authority issues, and they stem sometimes from growing up in, in households. And so if you can get the guts enough to talk to us instead of talking to everyone else, you are going to find out you're going to be trusting leadership, you're going to trust authority, and that fear of authority is going to break off of you. That has to be broken off. If you're going to grow in any position in God, if you're going to grow in the gifts of God, some of you might have calls to leadership, but if you don't learn to submit and get that right, you'll never be able to rise into where God has you. There has been prophetic words on people. I, I, I've had some diss where kind of thrown out stuff. I have diss of people who had incredible things said about them in leadership, and I don't know if they're ever going to fulfill them because they, they haven't just done the simple things about trusting authority and doing what God wanted them to do. I wish it was easier, but it just seems to be the way it is. In 2 Peter 2, 9-11, through 11, I want to stop at this verse. Apostle Peter wrote, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk after the flesh in pursuit of unclean desires and despise authority. I think um, as we, Dory's going to come get ready for uh, the altar and communion time, if you have authority issues, I think sometimes that is one of the biggest things. If you feel like you can't trust authority or you've been wounded by authority, begin to pray about that. Because if you can let God have your heart and trust authority, I tell you, your spiritual life will grow and you'll become such a strong believer in the Lord.